Women have been involved with U.S. nuclear weapons policy since before there were even nuclear weapons. American women were integral participants in the Manhattan Project as nurses, physicists, engineers, machine operators, chemists, typists, inspectors, researchers, teachers, pipefitters, secretaries, gauge watchers, and more, even though some were unaware of exactly what they were doing due to strict security protocols. Since then, women have also led the global effort to reduce the threat of nuclear war. Activists like Bella Abzug and Christine Ahn, legislators like Dianne Feinstein and the late Ellen Tauscher, expert diplomats like Federica Mogherini, Wendy Sherman, and Rose Gottemuller, former secretaries of state like Hillary Clinton, Madeleine Albright, and Condoleezza Rice, and so many others have contributed to a safer, more stable global order. And why should we care about the role women play? Not only for fairness and equality, but because studies show that when women are involved in the process, peace agreements feature higher quality content and higher rates of implementation than those that exclude women. Higher quality content leads to longer lasting agreements, and research supports that peace agreements signed by women are in fact 35% more likely to last at least 15 years. On the whole, women are also more likely to insist that parties stay at the table until an agreement is made. of Hazard, a podcast from the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation. I'm your guest host, Rachel Emond, a Scoville Fellow at the Center, focusing on how women's issues and nuclear issues intersect. Though they make it sound easy, women in this community have fought hard for their place and their voice, and in some ways are still doing so. Since the 1970s, of the 68 people who have held leadership roles at the Department of State related to nuclear policymaking, only 11 of them have been women, and only two of them have been women of color. The numbers are even bleaker at the Departments of Energy and Defense, where, of the combined 99 people in nuclear leadership positions at these agencies, only 10 have been women. Recently, the Washington Post reported that women made up only 34% of experts featured on D.C. foreign policy panels, hosted by 20 different well-known think tanks. Heather Holbert, director of the New Models of Policy Change Project at New America's Political Reform Program, decided she wanted to know more about the experience of women who have broken into the nuclear policy community. Along with a team of three other female researchers, Heather created a report titled The Consensual Straitjacket, Four Decades of Women in Nuclear Security, which came out on March 5, 2019. The report explores how the gender dynamic has affected women in nuclear, arms control, and nonproliferation-related fields professionally, and how it continues to affect policymaking today. Heather and her colleagues interviewed more than 20 women who have worked in nuclear security throughout the last few decades. These women were specifically sought out because they made it to senior-level positions in a career field that is characteristically male, pale, and quite frankly, a little stale. In this special episode of Nukes of Hazard, we decided to delve deeper into the issues and questions raised by the Consensual Straitjacket Report. Today, we'll hear more from Heather, as well as Ambassadors Bonnie Jenkins and Susan Burke, two of the senior officials included in the report, about experiencing sexism and racism in the nuclear security field, their career paths, and potential solutions to making this field more inclusive and diverse. We'll also discuss the national security implications of excluding women from the conversation. This issue is bigger than the makeup of the field in and of itself. If not resolved, this issue will be detrimental to the security of our nation and our global community. 
First, let me tell you a little bit about each of these women and their incredibly interesting careers. Heather started out in Washington as an advisor to Congress on human rights, security, and conflict resolution issues in Europe, has served as a speechwriter for multiple secretaries of state and President Bill Clinton, was the executive director of the National Security Network, and currently works at New America trying to figure out the key to effective policy advocacy in the midst of today's extremely polarized environment. During my conversation with Heather, she told me that in college, a guy in her nuclear security course told her that it was okay if she wasn't all that interested in the material, because women don't usually like arms control. Heather took a job in arms control shortly after graduating, and remained passionate about women's equality throughout her career. I asked her why she decided it was important to lead the charge on creating this report and highlighting the exclusive nature of the nuclear security field. So I had kind of had throughout my whole career um, a real passion for feminism and women's equality. And, you know, for the first 20 years of my career, I thought I was doing that by just being the best professional I could be in the field. And I was very often the only woman in the office where I worked. And that changed over the years. It didn't change as much as maybe I thought it would. And then, frankly, the 2016 election cycle, and then even more pronouncedly with Me Too, when I started hearing stories that were things that would have been unacceptable at the beginning of my career, and they were still happening, and they were, you know, just all of my peers had these stories, and in many ways it turned out I had had a much easier time than, than many of my peers, and I just thought to myself, you know, if I've accumulated some seniority in the field, what am I using it for? And this seems like a really important thing to be using it for. So that's, that's what pushed me into doing, into doing this kind of work. It was during the discussion of the gender tax, or rather, according to the report, how experiences of sexism, harassment, and gendered expectations translate into constant mental and emotional weight that the title of this report was born. Former Undersecretary of Defense Michelle Flournoy, the highest-ranking female civilian in the Department of Defense ever, who is regularly speculated as a candidate to be the first female Secretary of Defense, coined the term consensual straitjacket to explain her experience within the field. I asked Heather to explain that for us. The idea is that nuclear security, and like some other subfields, there are very rigid ideas about what's a legitimate policy idea and what is not. And in order to be taken seriously in the field, whether you're male or female, you have to agree to restrict yourself and keep your discourse inside the boundaries of what somebody else decades ago sort of decided were the limits of the field. And Michelle's point is that's really a straitjacket because it restricts outside-the-box thinking to solve problems. It restricts modernizing the field as, you know, the world does not look the same way it did in the 60s or much less in the 40s when five guys at Yale and Rand were inventing um, contemporary deterrence theory. But um, it's consensual because you basically buy, if you haven't been socialized into it through grad school, through the process of getting jobs and working in the field and understanding what ideas will get you promoted and what ideas will get you laughed out of the room, you consent to it. And so by the time you get to, you know, Michelle's phase, but even by the time you get to be sort of a serious mid-career professional, you are fully sort of integrated into this straitjacket. Heather's report provides steps to unbuckling the straitjacket, such as providing paid family leave and subsidized childcare, implementing more flexible work schedules, revamping the performance review and promotion processes, 
implementing strong anti-sexual harassment policies, promoting mutually beneficial sponsorship as opposed to one-sided mentorship, and simply making sure there are more women and members of minority communities at the table. I asked each of these women if anything from the report surprised them, and they all told me that honestly, no, nothing surprised them. I was curious then how being a woman had characterized their experience, and whether or not they themselves felt as though they were constrained by a consensual straitjacket. Susan has held a number of diplomatic positions, including as the Acting Assistant Secretary of State for Nonproliferation. She became the first deputy coordinator for Homeland Security in the State Department's Bureau of Counterterrorism, where she coordinated the department's efforts at the nexus of Homeland Security and Counterterrorism. Finally, in 2009, President Obama appointed Susan to have the rank of ambassador as the special representative of the president for nuclear nonproliferation. She is now retired, but that is a loose term. She is, among other things, on the center's board of directors. Susan explained to me that her experience as a woman working in nuclear security was different for her at different stages in her career. Many of us, we lived these issues. We lived all sorts of things that nowadays people would be horrified and and they'd say, why didn't you say anything? And you say, well, you know, when you're the young person there and somebody says something or you're sharing an office with someone, you didn't feel like you had the option to go talk to anybody. And there weren't that many other women that you could confide in. In the Defense Department, there were very few women. When I started my career, there were very few professional women. And I had the good fortune of being in an office where our office director was a woman who had come in uh, as a management fellow back in the day. And we didn't talk about mentors at the time, but she guided me, she pushed me, she, she made me stretch when I didn't want to stretch. And I owe her a tremendous amount of gratitude for helping me get to where I got. And, and I think when I moved out of her orbit, she continued to counsel me, even on other jobs. But I just felt that I got a really good boost from that. But that was unusual. In ACTA, there were more women. And in state, there were more women. But I personally didn't feel that being a woman was an impediment. And one of the reasons why is I went to a woman's college. And we, the women ran it. And so that experience was so critical to my development. So when I went into the job force, I, I was coming out of an experience where women were in charge of everything. I just didn't think about it. And so I think there was a period of naivete, if you would, when I first started my career. But I never felt that I in somehow was, was less than the men. Where I began to feel that it was an issue was as I rose up in the ranks. The higher you go, the more you start seeing the little tensions there. But I never, I was aware of it, but it was never something that I think made me feel like I couldn't do this because I was a woman. I never felt that way. And, and I think some of it has to do with working with other professional women who helped encourage me and support me and, and give me reinforcement. And I think that's where women now, the more that we can reinforce each other, the more we can mentor the, the young professionals coming into the field and assure them that they are just as capable. Mm-hmm. I think that, that it's all you're in your mindset, really. Mm-hmm. I think it's how you view yourself. Bonnie is a retired Naval Reserves officer and former legal advisor to U.S. ambassadors and delegations negotiating weapons of mass destruction and conventional treaties. She was appointed as an ambassador by President Obama in 2009, coordinating threat reduction programs in the Department of State's Bureau of International Security and Nonproliferation. 
Among her many post-government roles, she is the founder and president of the nonprofit organization Women of Color Advancing Peace, Security, and Conflict Transformation. Bonnie discussed how her experience as not only being one of few women, but also one of few people of color in the field, meant that the consensual straitjacket means something different to her and other women of color. Well, it's different because, well, we're people of color. So what that means essentially is our experience are different because we're different cultures and different challenges. So the challenges that we feel and we deal with um, regularly are not going to be the same. So as a result of that, the kind of everyday experiences that we deal with on a regular basis are not going to be the same. I asked Heather if her experience was similar to that of the women she interviewed. Well, I think one of the things that really came out in the interviews was how this experience is more extreme in nuclear security than in other subfields of um, nonproliferation policy or of national security policy more broadly, although it exists in other fields. And I think that the whole national security field is a very small C conservative field in that the way we work is, is that we transmit ideas and frameworks from generation to generation. And what is most commonly rewarded is innovation that's a very small degree of innovation within an existing framework. And so that can be a bit of a straitjacket for everybody and one that I certainly experienced, although nothing like as, as extreme as the, the narrowness of the core deterrence theory and its hold on, on nuclear policy. We're in an era now in which many organizations and workplaces are working to make themselves more inclusive for women and other marginalized communities, and the nuclear security field is no different, but it's important to discuss the real tangible steps that it takes to become fully inclusive. I asked Heather if she believed the tangible steps listed in the report were well-received by the senior members of the nuclear security community. Well, an unfortunate dynamic that already existed in the nuclear security community is this constant experience of resource scarcity. Um, you know, this constant feeling that the field is underfunded, that the major foundation funders, no one's ever sure if they're going to stay in the space. So there's this constant feeling of there's not enough money, there's not enough jobs, anything new you want to do or any new person you want to bring in, it's a zero-sum game. And so I think there's a certain amount of that that colors how this has been received, that people feel like doing this is just impossible or it becomes a direct threat. I mean, I, I had a, a senior person at an organization say, well, I see that the lack of diversity in my organization is a problem, but I'm the only person who sees it. And does that mean I have to quit? If nobody else sees it, do I have to be the one who quits to make space? And as long as the conversation feels that narrow and zero sum, we're not really going to get anywhere. So in the meantime, how can women, members of the LGBTQ plus community, and people of color persevere and progress in the nuclear policy space while the field continues to resolve its issues? Heather's advice is horizontal mentorship. Find peers who you can have strong relationships with, share opportunities with, and serve as each other's gut check for when things don't necessarily feel right. Be realistic about what it takes to succeed in the field, including understanding that this space may be difficult to navigate, so make sure it's something that you want to do, and don't be afraid to take interesting risks while you're there. Ultimately, Bonnie says to just keep pushing. Just to stick with it. I mean, just, I don't know if there's anything, anything magical about it. It's just, I mean, what I've done is I just kind of, I, I enjoyed the feel enough that I just stayed in it. 
So I think, you know, just understanding that if you really love the field and love what you're doing, you know, there are barriers out there. But if you're committed to it, you'll stay in it. But by staying in it, you'll open the doors for other people. Slowly but surely, the field is progressing. It's not just young women of people of color breaking into the field who have to be a part of this progress, though. In November of 2018, Michelle Dover of Plowshares Fund and Laura Holgate of Nuclear Threat Initiative launched the Gender Champions and Nuclear Policy Leadership Network. According to their website, this project brings together heads of organizations working on nuclear policy who are committed to break down gender barriers and make gender equality a working reality in their spheres of influence. Our own executive director here at the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation, John Tierney, is a gender champion. As a team, these leaders hold themselves and their organizations accountable to making real, tangible strides towards achieving gender equality. A major concern within the field currently regarding gender parity is the frequency with which female experts are overlooked or is seen as less knowledgeable than their male colleagues. One such way that both official gender champions and other allies within the space can work towards a more inclusive environment is by refusing to participate in manuals and articles, which respectively are panels or articles that feature only male experts. The Gender Champions Panel Parity Pledge recommends that men invited to participate in such events or articles use the opportunity to highlight the work of women in the field by recommending female colleagues that event organizers and journalists can reach out to instead. Alex Bell, the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation Senior Policy Director, has worked in the nuclear policy community for 12 years and was interviewed for Heather's report. She is a strong advocate for the better inclusion of women, so I asked her about the policy implications of leaving women behind. I think there's a tendency among some people to think that this is just about, you know, women being in these jobs, and I guess that's okay. There's almost sort of a fatigue when talking about it. But the issue at hand here is we've got so many problems across the nuclear space and then the national security space writ large, uh, the onset of new technologies, uh, multipolar conflicts and sort of changing interest areas, uh, growing disputes over things caused by climate change, like access to water. These problems are so huge that we can't have one half of the population not participating in the possible solutions. And if we have a structure that's set up to sort of keep half of the population away because it's so hard to enter the field, because of these continuing problems of harassment and thinking that the experience of a woman doesn't have any effect on the possible ideas she could bring to the table. Like there's nothing about the experience of being a woman that possibly generates different, possibly creative, more workable solutions to these problems. It's, <laughs> it just sort of boggles the mind. And I think there is a problem that there's sort of this uh, idea of like, oh, we've had one woman be the head of you know an organization. We've had one woman in this role. So see, it's fine. We fixed it. <laughs> it always makes me think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg being asked, well, how many women is enough on the Supreme Court? And she's like, well, let's have nine. And then We'll, we'll see the answer. I, I, want to, I want to get to the point where it's no longer the first woman in some particular role where she's the first person to ever negotiate something with the Russians or the Iranians or whoever, where it's just sort of commonplace. It's 51% of the population, 51% of the people doing this should be women. 
and uh, just to actually reflect what our society is and, and put all of our potential power into solving these problems across the nuclear security and national security space. The thing is, the nuclear policy community doesn't really have a choice but to change. Heather's report states, The story of gender diversity in nuclear security is the story of how the field improves and innovates or fails to do so. The difference between success and failure of nuclear weapons policies is the difference between life and death. And, like Alex said, by leaving the talents of 50% of our population on the sidelines, we are drastically hindering the success of this field. a special episode of Nukes of Hazard. To get more information on the Consensual Straitjacket Four Decades of Women in Nuclear Security report, visit newamerica.org. To learn more about the Gender Champions and Nuclear Policy Leadership Network, you can visit gcnuclearpolicy.org. Finally, don't forget to check out our Nukes of Hazard blog on armscontrolcenter.org. There you can find my blog series, Women in Nuclear History, to learn more about the contributions women have made in this community, as well as a lot of other educational material on U.S. nuclear weapons policy. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at nukes underscore of underscore hazard and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash arms control center. Thank you for listening.